Welcome to today's podcast. I am your host, Michael Aceta, owner of Matador Canine Brilliance and the host of Acknowledge Dogs podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today's topic of discussion is luring versus targeting. There's a very, very, very small difference between the two, but there is a huge difference in how you use them and how we can get a lot more effective behavior using one or the other. If you know what it is before we jump into it today, congratulations. You've probably been following me on social media, especially TikTok. We've been talking about it a lot lately. If you don't know the difference between luring and targeting, stay tuned. We're going to go over it right now. I want to thank you again for tuning in today. Today, we are talking about luring and targeting and how they are different and how using them can actually get very, very different results. The first thing we need to talk about is what is luring and what is targeting. By definition, luring is to tempt a person or animal to do something or to go somewhere, especially by offering some form of reward. That's important. It's especially by offering some form of a reward. Controversially, that's not the right term. On the other side of things, <laughs> on the other hand, targeting is a person, object, or place selected as the point of an attack. Okay? So luring, we're especially using a treat or a toy or a food reward, something that we can tempt a person or dog with. In this case, we're talking about dogs. And then targeting is when we have something that our dog has to go towards and move towards. It's not a food. And this is where we can use them in very, very different ways. Now, I had posted on my social media recently teaching a lore, or I'm sorry, teaching a behavior without using a lore when many, many people in the industry would use a lore for this behavior. Now, I've worked with other dogs and not use a lore. I'm testing out a few different methods on how to do it because I want to find the most efficient way. And so one method that I was using was using targeting. I'd have my dog target my hand, and then I'd have them target my hand behind me, and then I'd have them target my hand next to me, so that they're right next to me in heel position is what it's called. So it's a three-point target to get them into the proper position, which very smoothly transitions into a two-point target, which then will transition into a one-point target, which will turn into no targets. It's a very smooth, linear transition into exactly what I want. Then I can add in the word, and my hand no longer needs to be there. Now, on the other side, if I was using a lore, it's not broken up into three parts. It's one muddled behavior altogether. I take the treat, I put it in front of my dog's nose, and I lure them into a nice big circle, get them to sit next to me. That is what many trainers do. Most of the trainers on the internet, that's what they show. Even high-level dog trainers will do this. Why is it? Their thought process is I can get the most accurate and precise behavior possible by doing that, and they are correct. You will. You will get the most precise behavior in that moment that you could possibly get by luring your dog into the position, which is why in some cases, if I'm doing conditioning work, I will use a lure. One, because the behavior isn't as important. I'm working on very, very small movements. And if I can control that small movement with a lure and get exactly what I'm looking for, then it doesn't matter what the behavior is. I don't need my dog to be able to do a push-up on command. I might want to at some point, but right now, if I'm targeting a particular muscle or group of muscles, or I want them to move a very, very complex and precise way, I might lure them to have the most amount of control in that moment. Notice it's in the moment versus long-term. When we use a lure and get our dog into heel position, 
we have to phase out the hand over many, many repetitions. And what oftentimes happens is our dog is so focused on the treat that they, one, will only do it when the tree is around, and two, don't actually learn the behavior because they're so focused on the treat. My dog Hawk is a perfect example of this. You could show him a behavior thousands of times, thousands of times using a lure. He will not, and it's not just me. It's not, oh, well, Michael does just know how to lure. It's not just me. I've had other trainers do it. He will not pick up on the behavior. If you spend five minutes with him shaping a behavior, he's got it down. He knows how to do it. And he's done both. So it's not a matter of learning the language for shaping and not learning the language for luring. It's just the simple matter of fact that he is so focused on the treat, on the reward, that he will disregard his entire body. Anything he has to do to get to the food, he will do. And this can happen if you have a highly food-motivated dog. Now, what happens if you have a high-food-motivated dog and you need them to do a behavior? You should shape it. And I'm using targeting as a bridge to the shaping process. Targeting just gets us there that much quicker because there is a particular point of attack. You're right, defined in our definition there, a particular point of attack. It's very clear. Touch my hand, you get a mark and reward. I then move my hand into a better position to get you set up for the heel position. You touch that, mark and reward. Now I bring you back into heel position, mark and reward. So three-step process. Now all I got to do is get him to go behind me and then come back forward. And then when I bring my hand slightly back and forward, he's jumping right into the behavior. And then I can start adding in the cue before I move my hand at all. And you might say, well, why don't you just do that with a lure? Or how is that different? How is targeting different from luring? As I mentioned before, having the lure, having the food around is the difference. If the food is around and our dog is too distracted by the food, they're not learning the behavior. I want you to think about it like this. If I were to send you somewhere, okay, and I gave you very clear instructions, I want you to go down the block 100 feet, you're going to make a right, you're going to go two lefts, and then you're going to make a left. And right there is going to be a coffee shop. You have clear instructions on where you need to go in order to get to the coffee shop. Now, if I said go to the coffee shop on 59th and 31st, all you're thinking about is, ooh, coffee shop. All I got to do is get to the coffee shop. I don't know how to get to the coffee shop, but I'm going to get to the coffee shop. And once I get to the coffee shop, I'm going to get a donut. I'm going to get an ice cream. I'm going to get a caramel macchiato. And I don't know if so, uh, coffee shops have ice cream, but maybe they do. So your only thought is the coffee shop. It's not, okay, I'm going to go 100 feet, make a right. I'm going to go three lefts down and make a left. And there's the coffee shop. It's very different. Very, very different. Now, maybe that's not a perfect example for you. That's just an example that I like to use to explain things. If that makes sense to you, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But it happens all the time with food with our dogs. All the time. They're so focused on the food and they cannot think about the actual behavior themselves, especially if they're highly food motivated. If you're working with a working dog, a herding dog, German Shepherd, Belgian Malinois, Dutch Shepherd, those dogs are so motivated by chasing toys and working and doing all that stuff, sometimes they're sporadic. Now, this can fall into the yerkes dachshund law, where a dog is too excited and they can't focus. If you don't know what that is, look up the podcast on excitement and focus relativity, how they go together, because they are relative. One will influence the other. And if our dog is too excited about food, they can't focus on the behavior. They can't focus in general, let alone focus on a complex behavior we're trying to teach them. 
Hey guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. Sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Okay. So let's see another behavior that you might want to use targeting over luring. Let's say on and off. We'll use the couch. So if I want my dog to jump on the couch when I ask them to, I might teach them to touch my hand. I'm going to put my hand above the couch. They're going to try to get to it. I'm going to mark a reward when their two front paws get on the couch in or on the way to touching my hand. I'm then going to repeat that a couple of times. Now, what have they learned? One, when my hand goes up and they think about going towards the couch, the part that gets rewarded is touching the couch. That's important for marking. That's important for clear communication on what my expectations are. But there's no food involved. If I were to just have food in my hand, they're solely thinking about the food, number one. Number two, if I mark, it does not signify that they're getting food because they're so focused on the food. And we talk about this in clicker training. You can't click and give food at the same time. It's a cause and effect. If you got a message on your phone and then a notification went off, you're going to think another message... Every episode, my voice <laughs> freaks out because I'm thinking faster than I'm talking. If your phone had a message on it, let's say you had a Facebook message, you get a notification. You're going to think that there's another message behind it. You're going to wait for that message to come up and it's not going to come up and you're going to be confused. What needs to happen is notification sound, then the message. It wouldn't even do at the same time because if it's at the same time, you're not going to make the same association. Sound then we get the notification. Think about at a restaurant. They ring the bell, then say orders up, and then they put the food on the plate or they put the plate on the, the counter. I know that sounds weird. Oh, well, that's just how they do it. No. Nope. Ring the bell. Everybody looks up. Now they have the attention and we can give the food. In this case, right, the bell got everybody to look up. Ooh, is that my food? He says order up. Now he places the food down. That's an association. Cause and effect. Bell, then the food goes down. If it was at the same time, order up and the bell at the same time, you're not going to know what's going on and it's going to sound very confusing. You might have missed the information, right? You didn't hear exactly what he said because the bell was in the way or it was a weird bell because it, it sounded weird resonating with his voice. It's all over the place. It's all over the place. Think about cars you're honking in New York City. If every car is honking, you don't know which car it's coming from. If one car honks, and then a guy sticks his head out the window and starts yelling, you know exactly who it is. It's clear communication. So if we're getting our dog to jump up onto the couch and we put our hand up there and two paws get on, now we can mark and reward that. You do that several times. Now we can start to phase out our hand very early on in the behavior. And our dog starts to think, okay, it wasn't the target I was looking at. It was actually my front paws. Let's see if I put three paws or four paws on. Let me just jump onto the couch. Will I get a reward? And the answer is yes, they would get a reward. Then you do the same thing for getting them off. And notice I have had to do no weaning of treats involved. That's the huge part for me. 
If my dog is only working for treats existing, which is sometimes a complaint about compulsive-based trainers, they're like, oh, well, your dog will only work for treats. That's not true. My dog will work for clicks. My dog will work for marks. My dog will work for the opportunity to work more because that means they're closer to getting their reward, right? We talk about reward schedules and, and that kind of thing, and that gets a little advanced. But really what it comes down to is can your dog do a behavior quickly and effectively and can you minimize the amount of prompting or aid that you have to do in order to get your dog to do that behavior once your dog starts throwing behavior at you meaning you don't have to say anything your dog's just eager to do the behavior that's when you can add in the cue if your dog's not at that point they don't fully understand that that behavior equals reinforcement or you're not using the right reinforcement or you aren't clear on what the behavior is if sometimes it's two paws up and sometimes it's four paws up and then you go back to two paws and sometimes you accidentally mark when they're on the ground now they're all over the place they have no idea whether it's on the couch off the couch or half on the couch so it has to be progressional progressional is that a word we're gonna say it's a word progressional so it's steps i get one paw two paws right you even want to go lower than that i get them to look at the couch sniff the couch one paw two paw Three paws. Now they're climbing up the couch. Four paws. Now the next repetition, they jump onto the couch. Huge jackpot and the session. Next session. Okay, two paws. I'm going to go back because it's a new session. I want to make sure they understand what our objective is here. Two paws. Three paws. Jumping on the couch already. Now I get them to jump off. Jumping on the couch two, three, four, five times. Now I end the session. Next session. They jump right onto the couch. Great. They remember what the behavior is. I'm going to do a couple more repetitions of that, having them jump onto the couch without my hand there. Right? They're eager now. They're like, ooh, we got to the couch. I'm going to jump on the couch so I can get my reward. Now, in the next session, I'm going to do one repetition of having them jump on the couch to remind them what we're doing. And when they come off the couch, I'm going to tell them on. Now they go to jump onto the couch, mark and reward for response to the cue. Then we get them to jump off, and we just repeat that same process with the off. So I have my hand out. They jump off the couch to touch my hand. Before they get to my hand, Right, because they're looking towards my hand, before they get to my hand, I'm going to mark and reward. And then they get rewarded for jumping off the couch, not touching my hand. And they go, ooh, jumping off the couch is the part that I should pay attention to. Think about going to a fast food chain. Okay. You pull up and you're thinking about food. I'm going to get my food. I'm going to get my food. I'm going to get my food. But what do you have to stop at first? First thing you have to stop at is the order box. Do so you get up there? You stop at the order box. Someone says, what can I get started for you today? You get all eager and excited. Ooh, great, right? Because that word or that interaction with a human being who's asking for your order makes you excited. You did the right behavior. You got to the right spot. You stopped at the right time. You're being patient. You're waiting. They ask you what you want. You tell them, great. Now what's the next step? Before you get to the food, you have to go pay. So you go to the first window. You pay. Now you've done a good behavior, right? I paid. I got my change. Now I get my reward. So it's always behavior than reward. It's cause and effect. So when they jump off the couch, they're thinking about the food. But before they're thinking about the food, they're thinking about touching your hand. And before they think about touching your hand, they think about touching the ground. That might sound confusing. I know. So we'll go back to our drive through analogy. You're thinking about the food. Ooh, I'm going to Big Nonalds or Burger King because I'm thinking about food. But before I get to the food, I have to pay. Before I pay, I have to get to the order box. Before I get to the order box, I have to turn right into the drive lane. All those behaviors stack upon each other. 
it's almost like you're back chaining the reward schedule or the, sorry, the reward event. You're back chaining the reward event, which sounds insanely technical to me. So basically you're taking the reward event, the getting of a reward, and you're just taking one step below it, one step below it, one step below it until you get to the first behavior you have to do in order to get to that reward. So in this case for a dog, it's looking at you. Right? They look at you. They're like, ooh, I'm engaged. I know mom and dad has the clicker. They have treats. I'm ready to go. Let's start this. They look towards the couch, mark, and reward. They sniff the couch, mark, and reward. Sniff the couch, mark, and reward. One paw, two paws, four paws jumping off the couch. So luring and targeting is very, very different. If you were going to do that with a lure, your dog would be eating these treats every step of the way, which has a time and place. I will say that. Luring has a time and a place. Do you know what the time and place is? First, luring has a time and place when we are trying to do conditioning and have very precise movements. Very precise movements. Okay. Number two, luring has a time and a place in the very, very early stages of the teaching phase of training. Right? There's three phases. Teach, train, proof, or test. Teach, train, proof, or test. So in the teaching phase, and I mean like less than 10% of the time you should be using luring. If you can use targeting and figure out how to use targeting, 99.9% .9 of the time you should be using targeting. But let's say you're trying to use targeting and your dog's more confused than it would be beneficial to continue trying to do. If they're just looking at you, they have no idea what you're trying to do. One, you should set up a better training scenario because you might just be confusing them in general. But if they're really not getting it, especially if they're a dog that's used to luring, it might, and this is I got to emphasize, it might be beneficial to use a very small amount of luring, but you have to phase out of it as soon as possible before you add in the cue. You definitely do not add the cue while you're luring. It, it just can't happen. They're focused way too much on the reward event, and that's not how we add in cues. Cues come first, then the behavior, then the reward event. If we're doing cue and reward event at the same time, it makes no sense. We're, 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 we're squishing everything together, trying to do it all at once. It's cause, then effect. It's a one, two, three. It's math, right? Four plus three equals seven. You can't do 437 and expect to get the same thing because it's not the same thing. You have to have those signs and symbols, right? The plus and the equal sign. Four plus three equals seven. Q plus behavior equals reward. If we have the Q and the behavior at the exact same time and the reward just happens to sneak in there, it makes no sense to the dog. And I know what you're saying, but hundreds and thousands of dogs have worked with luring. That's correct. That is correct. You are correct. If you are, are debating this episode, if you're like, well, I, I've used to lure my whole life. I don't understand. I understand you. I get it. I completely get it. I'm with you. However, this is the time for you to reevaluate how effective using that lore might be. Is it everything is chalked up to be? Think about this. Take two dogs. If you have two dogs, great. If you only have one dog, fine. Take two behaviors of equal importance. You could take spin and twist. One turning clockwise, one turning counterclockwise. All you're going to do is teach one with a lore and teach one with a target. One with a lure, one with a target. Counterclockwise, you would teach with a target. 
clockwise, you teach with the lore. See how fast they pick up on one versus the other. So with the lore, you would just have treats in your hand. You're going to make a big circle around your dog, and that's it. Targeting, you're going to think of a clock, and you're going to have your dog target the stick or your hand around the clock. So if they're looking at you and they're at six o'clock, you're going to go six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, one. Once you get to one and you click, they should just turn around back to you in order to get the reward. You've now taught a circle or a twist, whatever you want to call it. Spin, twist, circle, pirouette, whatever you want to say. Teach counterclockwise and clockwise. I guarantee for 80% or above of you, and I say 80% or above because some of you and some of the dogs are not going to be used to clicker or target training, and they're going to get confused. So most of you are going to have a lot of success. The other 25% or the 20% are going to struggle on both sides. And it's going to take a lot longer for your dog to be able to do the behavior in the first place. If you practice this well and your timing is right and your dog understands what the target stick is, it should happen in maybe two or three sessions. I'm not saying weeks. I'm not saying days. Depending on how many sessions you do per week, two or three sessions, your dog should be able to do a reliable spin, maybe still with the stick as a prompt. But by the end of five sessions, your dog should be able to do this bit. That's that's what I'm talking about. The difference is with Loring, it might take two and a half weeks of training every single day for five to ten minutes, depending, depending on your dog. Completely depends. But in the end, if you're not interested in training your dog as fast as humanly possible, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. Is it still more important to do targeting over luring? Yes. Well, why, Michael? If I'm not interested in doing it in an efficient way, in a timely manner, why is it important? It's easier to get your dog off of treats if you use targeting. Think about it like this. If I have to give you 10 bucks every time I ask you to do something, are you really my friend? No, you're not. What's the difference? If I were to say, hey, could you help me out? And you helped me out and I thanked you with 10 bucks or I thanked you with pizza or ice cream or whatever it is. You go, oh man, I really love hanging them out. Subconsciously, you might see it as a reward. Subconsciously, you might not. Maybe you're very cognizant of it. Oh, he's rewarded me for hanging out with him or helping him out, whatever it was. So if I do this over and over and over again, which is easier to get rid of? At some point, if I don't have 10 bucks to give you and I say, hey, can you help me out? Your self-conscious response This is not because you're vicious. This is not because you're petty or selfish. You're going to ask, oh, what's in it for me? Even if it's joking, because you are so accustomed and trained to getting the 10 bucks. I say, oh, no, you know, I just thought you could help me out this one time. You know, I don't don't have 10 bucks to give you. You might. There's a possibility that you might. And this is where dogs differ and personalities differ and people are different. So you might help me out. But the next time, if I just stopped cold turkey of giving you 10 bucks, eventually you're going to be like, wow, you know, he's really taking advantage of me, blah, 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 whatever it is. On the other side, if I wean away from giving you 10 bucks, and instead of giving you 10 bucks every time you help me out, every two or three times I gave you 10 bucks, you're like, okay, you know, he he still rewards me, quote unquote, he still takes me out to lunch, but I kind of enjoy hanging out with him. And I, you know, I appreciate he doesn't have to 
reward me with pizza or ice cream, but he does because he, you know, it feels nice. So there's a whole different mentality here. And eventually I never have to give you 10 bucks because the feeling you get from hanging out with me first or the feeling you get with helping me first, not expecting something and randomly getting something is actually a lot more valuable than doing it for something. This is why individuals who love service work, volunteering, I love volunteering. If I had all the time in the world, I would volunteer all the time. Volunteering is one of the most rewarding things you can do. You never know, and this is what they say, you never know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're going to touch. You never know, right? Those are variable rewards that just happen to exist in that environment of volunteering. But you have the other side, the Scrooges, if you will, where, oh, what's in it for me? I'm not going to work unless they're going to pay me extra. I'm not staying late unless they give me overtime. It's because there's an expectation of some type of reward, some kind of trade-off. And that's what happens with Loring. Especially if you tell your dog to do something, they don't do it. Now you pull out the treat to try to lure them. That is the worst possible thing you can do when it comes to getting your dog to learn a new behavior. Sit. They don't sit. I grab the treat. I put it in front of their nose. Now they sit. Now they got a reward. What did they get rewarded for? Number one, not listening to you, not doing the behavior, then getting a second command, then doing the behavior because the food is there. That's what they got rewarded for, not doing the sit. They got rewarded for that whole event. So instead, I put my hand above my dog. So he targets it. He has to pick his nose up. And to do that, he has to put his butt down a little bit. I mark and reward as the butt goes down. Now he's like, ooh, okay, so that's what you wanted. Then I pull out the food and give him a reward. So he starts to think, well, that's kind of interesting. I, I didn't realize that if I just put my butt down, you'll give me a treat. Cool, let me try it again. So then they automatically try again. Put their butt down, good, mark and reward. And then we shape that up, we clean it up, we get it exactly how we want. Then we start to add in the cue. And if I add in the cue too early, my dog isn't responding exactly how I want. So in the event of my social media, if you go look, I'm teaching Tommy to heal. We haven't started adding in the word heal yet because his behavior isn't how I want it yet. Until his behavior is exactly how I want it, I'm not going to say the word heal. Otherwise, he's going to be confused. So you go, okay, well, you know, this is half of what you want, but I guess I'll start doing it because you're asking for it. And he's just not there yet. As he gets better, as he understands what my expectations are, it's going to be a lot easier for him to just respond because he knows exactly what he wants to do, right? He wants to get into the position because there's an opportunity for reinforcement. And if there's an opportunity for reinforcement, there's no reason not to listen. If he's only doing it for reinforcement, listen, right? If there's an opportunity for reinforcement, there's no need not to listen. There's no form of punishment involved. He's like, oh, I might get something. Let me try. But if there's reward versus not reward, and he goes, eh, well, you know, maybe I don't really want a reward right now. Or maybe they don't have one. So why would I do it if they don't have a reward? I'm not going to do the behavior. Now we have a dog that's quote unquote stubborn or choosy or doesn't feel like doing it sometimes. A dog that knows there's always an opportunity for reinforcement doesn't have those problems. Is never stubborn, is never choosy. I shouldn't say never. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. If you get that joke, you're my best friend now, Star Wars fans. Oftentimes, dogs stop being stubborn. They stop being choosy. They stop going, ah, well, you know, I don't really want to do the behavior right now. All because in the foundation work, 
we didn't do luring, we chose to do targeting, which is huge. There's a huge difference. Huge, huge difference. Thank you for listening today. I really appreciate it. If you do not follow us on social media, please do so. We send out short little snippets of good dog training information all the time. If you haven't heard already because you haven't listened to any of the podcasts, which you should definitely go listen to, we will have a book coming out very soon, February 5th. It's called The Dog Training Cheat Code. It's a fantastic book. I wrote it myself. You can find it on matadorcanine.com. You can pre-order it. Get it today before we run out of copies. And uh, yeah. (laughs) All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. I'll see you guys next episode.